Hey there, product lovers. Welcome to the Product Love Podcast, hosted by Eric Bodick, co-founder and chief evangelist of Pendo and super fan of all things product. Product Love is the place for real insights into the world of crafting products as Eric interviews founders, product leaders, venture capitalists, authors, and more. So let's dive in now with today's Product Love podcast. So welcome over to Product Today. I'm here with Matt Riley, who's VP of Product at Elastic. Matt, why don't you uh, kick this off by giving us a, a quick overview of your background? Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm Matt Riley. I've been working in, I guess, the tech industry since around 2008. I joined as a software engineer at a company called Scribd, which is now best known as sort of the Netflix for books. I was a software engineer for several years, moved into product management and started my own company around 2012, a company called SwiftType. And then we were ultimately acquired by Elastic. And that's how I ended up where I am today. So tell me a little bit about uh, SwiftType. Yeah, so SwiftType came about sort of out, out of a personal need. So I, at Scribd, as I mentioned, I was working with another one of the software engineers there who was ultimately my co-founder at SwiftType. We were building a pretty sophisticated search engine for the consumer side of Scribd. And we were just using a lot of different tools. We tried out a lot of things. And it ultimately was just a very challenging task to build and scale over time. So... We started SwiftType with the idea that we felt like we could build a SaaS service that would simplify a lot of the more complicated aspects of building a consumer-facing search engine. And at the time, we had been using a whole lot of you know, a wide variety of different search tools. But just at the time that we were leaving to start SwiftType, uh, Elasticsearch sort of entered the open source world. And Elasticsearch was still very, very new at the time, but it was gaining a lot of momentum. We really liked a lot of what it was doing, even in the various earliest versions of it. So we adopted that and built, used it sort of as the as one of the primary pieces of our search infrastructure, but continued to layer on a lot of proprietary technology that we built just to make the SaaS service work itself really simple, make it really easy for people to get up and running with the search engine for their website or their mobile application, and then kind of all the things that come from that. So let's step back a little. You talked about being a software engineer and moving into product. How did you get into product management? Yeah, it was sort of, I guess, natural, but maybe accidental. I was a software engineer for several years. When Scrib was a relatively early company, we were almost all of us were just software engineers. And I think over time, what I realized was there would go, you know, a couple of months would pass and I really wouldn't write very much code. I was spending most of my time with the other engineers, talking to them about you know, what we were going to build and why and all the things that ultimately become what you do full-time as a product manager. I was already sort of operating in that mode um, and realized I liked it a lot. And so made the transition to being a product manager there. I was the first product manager we had at the company. And then obviously as starting the company, uh, starting SwiftType, we, that wasn't my role there. But transitioning back into it as I got to Elastic, that's, uh, you know, that's kind of the path right now. So talk to me about you know, what you're doing now at Elastic, problems you're solving, teams you oversee. Sure. Yeah. So when SwiftType was acquired by Elastic, we basically brought two products with us. We had a site search product, which is basically the original SwiftType product of, where we were trying to make it as easy as possible for someone to build a search engine for their website. And then we'd also built a second product at SwiftType called SwiftType Enterprise Search, which was about making it easy to search over the wide array of tools that people use in their day-to-day -day work lives. 
So we brought both of those two products with us to Elastic. And today that's the enterprise search group at Elastic, which I oversee. Uh, and we still maintain those two products. We also still actually maintain SwiftPipe.com as a separate product and, and a fully SaaS experience. But that's my responsibility today. So talk to me about that acquisition integration process. What did that mean for both companies? How did it go? So I think we were very fortunate in that where the Swift type product was as a user experience. Basically, we had taken a lot, we had taken Elasticsearch. It was already one of our core building blocks of our service, but we had layered on a layer of simplicity and sort of business-facing tools on top of it. Uh, that made search easier, less complex for the average person who wants to come in and, and build a search engine, of which there are many, many of those people. And that was very much in line with where the Elastic product suite was already evolving. What we call today at Elastic our solutions, they're basically, you know, we have the open source components of the Elastic stack, which are Elasticsearch, Kibana, Beats, and Logstash, and all the many sort of core developer tools. And over the last several years, we've been building these, what we call solutions, they're basically purpose-built applications for specific use cases. So in the case of what I'm responsible for, those are for enterprise search use cases. We also have purpose-built solutions for observability, like logging and metric monitoring, and also for security. So what was fortunate about our acquisition is that our product was already very much in line with where the Elastic product suite was, was heading. So we, we slotted in quite nicely to that. But there were certainly some challenges, probably the largest of which was that SwiftType was built as a fully SaaS, multi-tenant product. Everyone's kind of you know, using and sharing resources, and it's only accessible online via SwiftType.com. Elastic's products, they originated as downloadable software components that are version that you could run on-premise. We also have a cloud service, but even in our cloud service, people are running in a single-tenant environment. It's a bit more uh, like a platform as a service product right now. So. One of the bigger transitions that we had to make was taking the SwiftType product and re-architecting parts of it um, out of this sort of multi-tenant SaaS thing into something that could run on-premise with only a single external dependency, that being Elasticsearch. Difficulties in the process? Like, you know, you're taking two product teams, putting them together, right? What challenges did you run into? I don't think we had a lot of difficulties from a product management perspective. I think one interesting aspect of Elastic is that kind of the way that we've built, as I just described the product suite, we have this core Elastic Stack foundation, and then we've built these purpose-built solutions on top of them. The purpose-built solutions are able to operate a little, somewhat independently because we're all building on a, a core foundational Elastic Stack. So there wasn't a lot of difficulty uh, across the products, but I would absolutely say that there were, you know, at the time that we joined, the company was still growing very, very rapidly. And there were a lot of things to kind of figure out as we jumped into, into this integration process. And I think looking back in retrospect, what we know more about where we ultimately want to take the solution offering of Elastic, we might have you know, done things slightly differently earlier on to, to set ourselves up for the kind of integrations that we're building today. You talked about, you know, thinking through some things earlier on. Are you talking about roadmap decisions? Are you talking about some of the structure? What would have made things smoother? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And maybe kind of gets to one of the the more interesting aspects of what we we do as product managers. But I think I didn't fully appreciate when we joined Elastic, what Elastic's existing distribution mechanisms were and how we can leverage those best. So when you think about how our customers find us, 
we have people who you know, visit the website and download the products. We have people who go to Elastic Cloud and spin up a deployment. We also have a huge existing user base of customers who just upgrade their existing software. And as we joined, we first were still this sort of separate piece of infrastructure and we had our product over there and we were dedicating some various marketing and go-to-market efforts to continuing to drive and grow that business. But as we integrated, I was starting to realize we needed to really prioritize making sure that we could get our products into the existing distribution mechanisms of Elastic as quickly as we possibly could, which meant definitely restructuring into something that could be downloaded on the website, making sure that we were available to people when they went and upgraded an existing piece of the software so that we could have some sort of a presence in that upgrade process. And finally, also you know, being available on Elastic Cloud, which of course, required this sort of migration from a multi-tenant SaaS product into something that you could run as a single tenant inside of the Elastic Cloud platform. So I think emphasizing the speed with which we would run towards that is certainly something that I, that I learned along the way. And it's a good lesson in just emphasizing where your distribution mechanisms are and, and how valuable it is to be, to be integrated with those when they're working really, really well. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's something I think is as companies acquire other products and, and merge product technologies in is is often overlooked, like how to leverage, you know, existing channels or sales infrastructure and make sure the products align to take advantage of that. One of the things we were talking about too is like product teams working together, right? So let's dig into that a little bit more. Like how are your product teams, like how do they work with the other departments there? Engineering, design, customer success. What have you guys done to ease friction that you know, in a lot of companies is inevitable. Yeah. So the engineering design and product teams are all part of the same organization at Elastic, which certainly means we work closely together, but doesn't mean that there's no friction at all. And I personally think that there's actually a, a kind of a good level of friction that's expected between, for example, your product management and engineering management. You, I always want my product managers to be pushing you're very hard on, on what's coming out of the engineering team and paying very close attention. And engineering managers are obviously, we all have the same goals, but they have various different concerns. They're going to think about things like you know technical debt and, and all the things that we want to do there. And we do have to balance all of that. But I think that the, the introduction of some aspect of friction is, is pretty healthy between those different components. And when it comes to something like design, it's possibly a little bit simpler there, but it's something that I emphasize with my product team that to have a very close relationship with the designer who you're working with, try to simplify their life as much as possible. I tend to be a very design-oriented product manager. So I think a lot about user experience and try to, and I think that in order to do that really effectively, the PM and the, the designer, whoever's working on a product together, they both need to bring a lot to the table and work very closely together, whether it's designers creating artifacts that a product manager can poke at or vice versa, a product manager creating wireframes that a designer can look at and get feedback on. I think that that's probably the best way to create a really good relationship with, between PM and design. So, so Matt, talk to me a little bit about how the structure works in Elastic. I know you have a product engineering design all reporting up into one org. Can you, can you talk to me about how they work together, how it's organized, who they report to? Sure. Yeah. So I think we have kind of a unique structure at Elastic where each product team essentially has three primary leaders and the teams within them also have the same sort of leadership structure. So at the head of each product team, we have what we call the product lead, the team lead, and the technical lead. And the product lead is the, the head of product for the group. 
the team lead is basically the engineering manager, VP of engineering, and then the technical lead is uh, essentially the architect of the team. And each team has that set of people. And we all roll up into one chief product officer who manages the, all of the different product groups, starting kind of with a, a group of three at the top of each of those. So definitely interesting structure. Is there an overall engineering leader or is it ends up that each of the product groups has an engineering leader that independently report up to the CPO? So it is the way that you described it. We have engineering leaders who all independently report up into the CPO. The CPO is obviously also highly technical. We have a highly technical product suite. Also, our CEO, Shai Bannon, is the founder and the original author of Elasticsearch. So he's still in some ways involved with a lot of the you know, really important technical decisions that get made there. So a lot of highly technical folks in that leadership structure without a single you know, individual person, I guess you would call it the global head of engineering specifically, aside from Ash, our CPO. Interesting. I think, I mean, obviously works for you guys. You guys are doing really well. You know, one of the things we were talking about when we were talking about alignment, we've obviously touched on engineering design, We've touched on, you know, the organizational structure. How do you work with some of the other departments, like customer success, right? How is that interaction? Yeah, that's, that has evolved a, a bit at Elastic. And being a, a lot of how Elastic has grown has been a very bottom-up adoption mechanism. We have a lot of practitioners who, who use the product and who ultimately become customers of ours through really natural evolution. And departments like customer success, where product ends up being... I think most interactive with them is oftentimes you know, coming in and helping develop relationships at a practitioner level in some cases with the folks who are using the products very heavily. So we end up getting to work with a lot of our customers and helping the customer success team with having conversations at the practitioner level when we want to go in there if we're going to give a product roadmap overview or something like that for a really key customer. But you know, kind of dropping down into a lot of the details, talking with technical teams, of which the customers of Elastic really ultimately end up being technical teams. And that's really, I think, what we bring to the table in a lot of those conversations at that level of expertise and participating in that part of the relationship building. I'm curious too, how technical is the customer success team there, you know, given the nature of you know who they're supporting, what they're supporting? Yeah, I would say that they're fairly technical. Um, in fact, when I interview people kind of across departments, there's a very common interview question people ask, of like, you know, what does it take to be successful at Elastic? And even when I'm talking to people in, uh, say, like a finance role, which I'll sometimes participate in interviews for, you know, I always tell them that I think that it's really important to understand our products and have a technical acumen at Elastic, just because that is what our customer base is. It is where a ton of the value of our businesses in this you know, technology platform that we've built. And it's pervasive throughout. It's very hard for us to serve our customers really well without a strong technical understanding. And I see it prominently displayed throughout our organization, throughout the sales org, um, marketing, and, and customer success as well. A lot of the very the highest level leaders are, are really quite technical in their understanding of the the software is pretty deep. And I think that that's been important to Elastic's success. Awesome. Thanks. So what's the big challenges right now for Elastic? Like what keeps you up at night? Um, I think that there's an enormous opportunity in front of us. There's no end of challenges when it comes to the things that search can be applied to. And even if you're just looking at my solution area where we have a product in helping you 
add search to your application or to your website for some consumer facing use cases. Pretty much any website mobile application on the entire internet has that need. So there's an enormous opportunity there. At the same time, we have this, the workplace search product, which is really intended for helping employees of companies find the things that they need on a day to day basis. And I would argue that that problem is only getting larger and larger with time. We've seen a huge explosion in the number of purpose-built SaaS-style tools that people are integrating into their productivity, the, the work that they do on a day-to-day basis. And as we do that, people are getting more productive, but they're also scattering information all over the place. And search is a really great tool for helping you organize that. It helps you explore all the information that's out there and bring it back in a relevant way. So to me, the challenge is just building to, to meet those needs of the market right now, and certainly to build it in a way that is highly extensible, because I think search itself is a problem or a challenge that is not simple to define in all cases, especially when you have customer A who wants to solve it in one way and customer B who has a slightly different data set and wants to solve it slightly differently. You have to build very extensible products but we also want to make them easy to use. And balancing extensibility and ease of use and ease of onboarding, I think, is always a challenge, especially in the enterprise uh, software space. Now, how much is your business enterprise versus non-enterprise segment? And we all define enterprise a little bit differently, but... Yeah, we have a large enterprise business. And I think that without getting into an exact breakdown, I think what you see, one thing that's very unique interesting about Elastic, at least what I think is really fascinating, is we have really adoption across the board. Everything from very small people adding search box on their blog and having a relatively small monthly contract with us on Elastic Cloud. That's a great customer. We also have people who adopt us in that mechanism who are very, very large customers. So large established companies. We have a large federal business with government agencies. And so we really do span kind of the entire gamut of, of what the software space is. And what I think is actually also quite interesting is we see a lot of customers who start off in these relatively small segments. We see customers who are smaller startups. They have the ease of use of getting started with something like Elastic. You have open source products. You can typically download them. You can run them for free. In many scenarios, you can run them on Elastic Cloud starting with a very small monthly cloud account. So people adopt them when they're early stage companies. And oftentimes those early stage companies grow into really, really large companies. And some of our largest customers actually started off with us as very small startups with relatively small contracts. So I think that's a fascinating sort of attribute of our Yeah. And the reason I was asking it, because it was a lead into where I thought I would be able to ask, which is, you know, it's a challenge, right? When you're building from really large enterprises, even federal you know, down to the person putting search on their blog, right? So how do you balance that from a roadmap perspective when you think about the different, you know, size constituents or consumers of your product? Is that yeah, as big as the challenge as it, as it appears to me? I think it is. And I think a lot of what we have to do is take a long-term view of what our overall architecture needs to be for serving that large set of customers. So if you look at some of what I was saying earlier about Elastic Cloud, where we built a single tenant architecture that you can choose a deployment in Elastic Cloud and say, I want to run this deployment in this region of AWS, or I want to run this deployment in this different region of Google Cloud Platform, for example. So we've built this Elastic Cloud Platform that is extremely extensible in that way. And it's planned that way because I think we see that 
that's the kind of flexibility that our customers ultimately are going to want. Certainly, as we grow larger and larger, we also have you know a huge amount of compliance and security work that needs to go into that underlying infrastructure. But as we invest in the infrastructure at kind of its own layer, and we build our products, our software products that are user-facing on top of that infrastructure across a common platform, all the investments that we make in the infrastructure really benefit everyone sort of at the same time. So every time we add a new region in Elastic Cloud, all of my products get it sort of naturally. In a similar way, every time we add new functionality or improve Elasticsearch, because my products are built entirely on Elasticsearch, we also inherit all of those things. So we invest a lot in power plays, which I think makes it possible for us to serve a wider variety of customers where then we otherwise would be able to focus on. So I can think about you know, different customer segments than certainly some people are, are thinking about in the infrastructure world right now. And that balance can shift over time. Uh, I think as long as we have the right plan, which I, I feel strongly that, that we're building the right things for our even very large customer set, it's a huge investment of energy and it's certainly not easy to do, but is uh, I think very fruitful. So talk to me about mistakes, you know, other people make or you see people make when they're building for that, you know, really big enterprise segment. Yeah, I think that maybe one of the mistakes is neglecting to realize that you do still have end users who want simple, great product experiences. That's something that I certainly try to keep in mind. So even if you're out there in a big enterprise space selling to the enterprise buyer, the you know, whoever in the C-suite is, is the buyer there. Ultimately, typically, you're going to have the practitioner who's in there working with the software, and those people are used to really great consumer experiences in software. Software has been getting better designed and and more polished many times over over the last several years, and the things that they interact with in their consumer life, they start to have the same expectations of the things that they interact with at work. And so I think that Neglecting to think about those people is a pattern that I, I certainly don't want to fall into myself and something that you know, I think plenty of enterprise companies do, do fall victim to. So now we're working in this COVID-19 world, right? Almost all of us working remotely. How has that impacted you know, your company, your product team? And how do you think it's changed tech in general during this time and product teams? Yeah, I think it's interesting, especially from the Elastic perspective. So we didn't touch on this initially, but Elastic has always been a distributed company. So we grew up as an open source product with employees all around the world and were from even the very earliest days. And even as we've matured as a company, we have offices in, in various locations, but we still had you know, a workforce that you know, most of which worked from home uh, all around the world. So prior to the pandemic, we were already working in a way that's quite similar to what we're doing today. But I will say that it certainly added to a new layer of complexity. Even there, no travel has been, I think, a challenge for a lot of people. And it's meant people being you know, at home all the time has certainly meant that there's a lot more hours in the day that people are sitting near their laptop, interacting with their computer and their colleagues. So I think it's just put a little bit more pressure on that. But even thinking about this outside the perspective of Elastic, there's a huge amount of emphasis now on essentially asynchronous communication. And from a product management perspective, that's something that we have to think about quite a bit. In previous roles, and certainly at SwiftType, product management was quite different than what it is in a distributed environment or some, in a totally remote environment like the pandemic has forced on us. 
if you're still sitting in the same room, it's a lot easier to communicate, have an open conversation with the entire team at any given time. And you probably don't have as good of practices around documenting decisions made or writing things down and, and communicating things via email. All of the things that I think are, are good practices regardless, but are easy to kind of get away from in a live environment. And so I think the remote work has certainly changed that and probably you know, brought about the need for better asynchronous communication, the utilization of different kinds of tools to stay organized across your group and you know, probably an endless variety of other things that, that I haven't even touched on. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this changes you know, when people are, are ready to go back, if they're ready to go back, how that adjusts to, you know, companies that were, you know, an office-centric culture. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? How do, how do you think, what's going to happen? I think people will be eager to get back. I think there will be aspects of the remote work that people are pretty happy to have and will want to continue. The level of flexibility that you get, I think, works pretty well. The lack of commute is certainly nice, but there's also something to being in an office with people. Even at Elastic, I went to our office fairly often. It wasn't a huge number of people there, but it's something that I, I get a lot of energy from being around my colleagues. And I think that that's, uh, you know, that may be something that product teams are very eager to do because I, I know most of the product managers I work with kind of similarly feed off of that kind of energy, being in a room with people, collaborating. So trends for the future. What trends do you see happening in product management? I think we'll continue to see some level of specialization across different product roles. You know, product management, I think, is becoming a more well-known, well-defined discipline. And so as, as that happens, I think companies are adapting to having specialized types of product managers, you know, whether it's for growth roles or for specifically user-facing roles. There's a whole lot of different, there's some specialization there. I think there's also probably always going to be just an evolution of tools. I've been really thrilled to see how quickly some of our tools have evolved, certainly over the last year, but even preceding that. A lot of that was what precipitated thinking about the workplace search problem, how we're going to be able to actually pull all that information together. But I just, even independent of our own product, I've been really thrilled to see kind of the quality and the rapid pace of evolution of the tools that people can use to be more productive at work. And I have a few of my own favorites, many of which are relatively new. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's interesting how much the tool set and platforms for product managers have evolved, you know, over the last five years compared to the 20 probably previously. You know, it's kind of crazy as, as a vendor in that space, right? As someone who built product in that space, I just remember, you know, our, our tool sets before being things like Microsoft Project and Word and Excel. I'm like, it was like Office was our tool set. And it's, it's got a lot more sophisticated. I'm super happy for the product management community. And we've seen that in education too. I mean, you can get a master's now from Carnegie Mellon in, in product management. I think Stanford has a program now, you know, it's great seeing the rise, so to speak, of the product managers in a lot of different ways. You know, I'd love to finish this up by getting your thoughts on, uh, you know, two things, you know, more specific to Matt. The first is like, what's your favorite product or your favorite products? Yeah, it's a hard question to answer, I guess. I would say I do have one product that I just really love as a product manager that I use a lot. It's a product called Whimsical. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's basically kind of a wireframing and flowchart creation tool. And it's entirely web-based. And it just gets a lot of things right. It's extremely easy to use and makes 
the wireframing process in some ways just much easier than it was prior to that, where I was using kind of a grab bag of different tools. And I do a lot of that kind of work. As I was saying earlier, when you're working with a designer, for example, I think it's really important to bring some of that to the table. I, I encourage my product managers to be out there creating wireframes for the products that they're describing rather than entirely written descriptions or thinking about a whiteboard that doesn't exist, at least right now while we're all remote. So I think the whimsical has become a huge part of my own toolkit. Some of my other favorite things are really just like small parts of product experiences. As a product manager, I have a tendency to look at just pieces of products that I really, really appreciate, whether it's uh, onboarding of a particular product where I'm trying to take ideas away from that or very boring things like account management or how you switch between multiple accounts. Because I think as any product manager knows, it's actually a pretty challenging problem once you have you know, a user who can switch between a team account and their own account. And maybe they're part of two multiple you know, different teams and all those things. So I try to look at those pieces of products and I have some favorites out there. Companies. Yeah, that whole permissioning can be a nightmare with multi-products, especially when you have suites. Like you have different, like Google comes to mind, right? Totally. There's certain products or it logs you out of stuff and doesn't give you permissions right and can't have access. It's just permissioning becomes a nightmare with multi-accounts across a broad swath of products. Absolutely, yeah. When I see it done really well, I feel like I notice it. And then also, you know, when it doesn't work well, it's extremely frustrating. So I try to take notes on the ones that are doing it well so I can bring those same things because we face the same challenge at Elastic. And you know, similarly with onboarding, where there are certain SaaS products that I think just do a really phenomenal job of getting the onboarding right. And there's always little things that you can take away from that to bring into our own products. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, the whole you know account switching and permissioning. It's often something that people don't pay a lot of attention to when they start but then their product portfolio gets bigger and then they have to deal with the multi-account issues. And then yep. it becomes a huge major endeavor for them to you know, update, fix, upgrade as they move into kind of that level of sophistication. Yeah, I mean, you asked earlier about how some mistakes that enterprise software companies sometimes make. And if you're starting out, knowing that you're going to build this enterprise software toolkit or specifically for the enterprise, maybe you're not going to make all the same mistakes, but what you just described is something that I think is really common. A lot of companies start in these early stage SMB markets and ultimately start moving up market. And many of those challenges when they're not, when didn't originally design around things like account switching and permissioning, those become really challenging to solve in later stages. So they're certainly something to think about early on if you think you're going to be going that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's just, I mean, you don't want to spend a lot of time solving them before you know, because you have limited resources when you're first starting. So it's this happy balance of like, okay, we don't want to create huge amounts of the problem for us later down the line, but we also don't want to build so much up front that we're not getting enough traction to raise the next round or be successful or whatever it happens to be. Absolutely. So, you know, this has been fun. One final question for you today, three words to describe yourself. Yeah, it's a, also kind of a tricky question. I would say, you know, if I'm being optimistic, I certainly try to bring a level of enthusiasm to my team. So enthusiastic, diligent, with a high quality bar for the work that I do and that others do around me. And also try to bring a level of creativity. So creative as well. I think that that's probably, it's certainly something that I look for in other people. And hopefully if you were to ask my team, maybe they would use that word to describe me, but we'll have to see. I'll ask them after this. Yeah, we'd love to hear if they match. 
Well, thanks, Matt. This has been a blast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's been great.